Welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. Ranting at you in the wee hours of April 22nd, 2023, as always, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. Uh, last week, we discussed the use of the Nazi calumny against the Ukrainians and the propaganda weaponizing of World War II history by the Kremlin and its mouthpieces, mirrored in the similar propaganda Israel has employed against the Palestinians, as we'll discuss later. And I've always joked in response to this, hey, how come nobody ever gives the Finns a hard time for having been on the wrong side in World War II? And, uh, now, I think, that's actually about to happen. So, on this rant, we're going to launch a preemptive strike to counter the Russian propaganda that I am sure is coming, and beat the Kremlin and its tanky dupes to the punch if I can, because I'm pretty sure the Nazi stigma is going to be used against Finland it's a matter of time, so let's preemptively clear the air on this question. Okay, so Finland has just joined NATO, which has doubled the frontier between NATO and Russia. And Finland has just started building a wall or security fence on its Russian border. Yeah, yet another security wall going up initially along 200 kilometers of the 1,300-kilometer border, not to defend militarily so much as to intercept migrants, lest Putin weaponize migrants trying to reach the West by luring them through Russian territory and then expelling them, as Russia has already been doing to an extent, along the Finnish border, and as Lukashenko of Belarus has been doing on a much larger scale on the Polish border, prompting Poland to start building a wall on its border with Belarus. So, um, hybrid or gray zone tactics, as they call it today. And it's important to note that the migrants are being abused by both sides in this game and have wound up trapped in a no-man's land between the Belarusian and Polish borders. Very grim. And Finland may be next, because it is now being de-Finlandized, so to speak. Finlandization is a reference to Finland's Cold War neutrality. And the term was usually used in derogatory sense. It had come to mean domesticated by Russia, which rather points to how Finland has been a victim of geography. It's funny. The Western attitude toward Swiss neutrality is like, oh, those Swiss are so peaceful and civilized. They don't want to get involved in our wars. So, it's a nice, stable place to invest and <clears throat> launder our war profits. Whereas the attitude toward Finnish neutrality was like, those dirty Finns have punked out to the Russians. They're letting the Ruskies walk all over them, and it's threatening the security of Europe. 
pretty funny. Well, now, thanks to Putin's criminal aggression against Ukraine, Finland is in NATO, a very predictable outcome, which exposes the bogus propaganda of the notion that Putin undertook this military adventure in response to NATO encroachment. He's just provided the perfect justification for NATO's further eastward expansion. His project is actually about rebuilding the Russian Empire, not about defending Russia's borders, obviously. And the Russo-nationalist irredentism he's displaying in Ukraine is legitimate reason for concern in Finland, which also spent long, bitter years under the Russian Empire. And perversely, Putin's propaganda is laundering his war of aggression and revanchist empire building in anti-Nazi, World War II nostalgist rhetoric, exploiting and weaponizing the politics of what happened in Ukraine in the war years when Ukraine was one of the most devastated countries in Europe. And you can hear it coming. This same propaganda is about to be employed against Finland. So once again, let's provide a little preemptive clarity on the history. Let's start by going deep. First, an interesting thing about the Finns is that they are one of the few European peoples who don't speak a European language, that is, an Indo-European language. Finnish is a Uralic language, related to that of the Samoyed peoples, such as the Sami, or Laps, who continue to live as land-rooted indigenous peoples in northern Finland, Russia, and Scandinavia today. And the Finns themselves were Christianized very late, and their lands were for centuries contested by rival empires the Swedish to the west, and the Russian to the east, just as Poland was for centuries contested by Germany and Russia. And this really began in the 12th century, when Sweden launched the Northern Crusades, conquering the pagan Finns in the name of Christianizing them, and the Swedes got as far east as a region called Karelia, which would be fought over and divided for centuries to come, and remains divided between Finland and Russia today, as we shall see. And uh, that's where the Swedes bumped into the territory claimed by Russia, or more correctly, by the Novgorod Republic, one of the predecessor states of Russia, which was interestingly, at that time, technically a tributary state of the Kievan Rus, the predecessor state of Ukraine. Muscovy, the real colonel of the contemporary Russian state, still being a relatively small player at this time. And in the 1323 Treaty of Notoborg, or in Finnish, Pakinasari, or in Russian, Petrokrepost, the line between the Swedish kingdom and Novgorod was drawn rather vaguely through the middle of Karelia which today begins just west of St. Petersburg and extends across the border into Finland, 
and continues to straddle the border for some uh, 200 miles to the north, just to give a sense of the geography. And the areas that fell under Russian rule, or then Novgorod rule, became known as East Karelia. Then we jump forward some three centuries to when Russia, by this time unified and under the Tsardom, was in its so-called Time of Troubles, a period of dynastic disputes and internal unrest, and Sweden decided to exploit this situation and take back some territory in 1610, ending with the 1617 Treaty of Stolbovo, in which Sweden took the region to the south and west of Karelia, known as Ingria. So this episode is today known as the Ingrian War. Then we jump forward to the Great Northern War of 1700, when Charles XII, the famous boy king of Sweden, who was literally like 14 years old at the time, challenged Tsar Peter the Great for mastery over all of Northern and Eastern Europe. And the tide turned in Peter's favor in 1708, when Charles made the classic mistake of trying to invade Russia in the winter, which turned into a disaster for him, as it later would for Napoleon and Hitler. And in 1714, all of Finland was seized and occupied by Russia. This was the start of what the Finns still call today the Great Wrath, or the era of Russian supremacy, during which the Russians carried out terrible massacres and reprisals against the Finns for a period of eight years until the Treaty of Nystadt, 1721, which ended the Great Northern War, under which Finland was returned to Swedish rule, but Ukraine and the Baltics came under Russian rule, effectively marking the end of Sweden as a great power. The next episode of note was the Russo-Swedish War of 1741, in which Finland was again occupied by Russia in a period now known to the Finns as the Lesser Wrath, and Sweden was forced to surrender Finnish territory to Russia in the 1743 Treaty of Abo, or in Finnish, Treaty of Turku. The next episode of note was the Russo-Swedish War of 1788, in which Sweden tried to take back some of its lost territories and failed to do so in the Treaty of Varala of 1790. So two years of Russia and Sweden fighting over Finnish territory and accomplishing nothing for either side. And then comes the Finnish War of 1808, in which Sweden and Russia again went to war over this territory, and this time Sweden lost badly. And in the 1809 Treaty of Fredriksham, the eastern third of the Swedish Empire, that is Finland, was ceded to Russia. Initially, as an autonomous Grand Duchy of Finland within the Russian Empire, but allowed a degree of self-government. 
But then in the late 19th century, Moscow adopts the policy of Russification of Finland, imposing the Russian language and encroaching on the Grand Duchy's autonomy, which only succeeds in sparking a Finnish national awakening and the first demands for independence. The first manifestation of this was cultural, the Phenoman movement, or Phenomania, or Phenomania, the most famous exponent of which was Elias Lonrat, a philologist and collector of traditional Finnish oral poetry, or runes. He collected songs from rune singers, especially in Karelia, which, as a backwater, was where this folk tradition survived and he eventually compiled them into the Finnish national epic, the Kalevala, or the Sons of Kalev, an early Finnish culture hero, first published in 1835, and which would become important source material for J.R.R. Tolkien, I cannot resist pointing out, especially some of the stories in the Silmarillion this cultural and later political ferment ultimately led to Finland's Declaration of Independence in 1917, exploiting the chaos then engulfing Russia. But this precipitated the Finnish Civil War, which pitted the Finnish whites against the Finnish reds, kind of mirroring what was happening in Russia. And ultimately, the whites, that is, the conservative and reactionary forces, prevail under the leadership of Baron Karl Gustav Emil Mannerheim, who would be the central military and political figure in Finland for another generation and change to come. And the national identity question really cost the Reds the war, because when the Bolsheviks took power in Russia, the Finnish Reds dropped their demand for full independence, which cost them much legitimacy with the people. Also decisive, we should note, was the fact that Germany intervened on behalf of the whites. But it's interesting, Vladimir Lenin had favored Finnish independence as late as 1916, when he wrote in his essay, The Socialist Revolution and the Right of Nations to Self-Determination, quote, Russian socialists who fail to demand freedom of secession for Finland, Poland, Ukraine, etc., etc., are behaving like chauvinists, like lackeys of the blood and mud stained imperialist monarchies and the imperialist bourgeoisie. End quote. Okay, that's Lenin. He said it, not me. Deal with it, tankies. Now, once the Bolsheviks had actually achieved power, their position quickly changed. Surprise, surprise. But Soviet Russia was in a poor position to be making territorial claims at this point, and considered Ukraine and Central Asia more critical than Finland and the Baltics, which were sacrificed. So, after the war in 1920, Finland signed the Treaty of Tartu with Soviet Russia, 
in which each side agreed to swap territory. So the border did change, but it was kind of a draw in terms of winners and losers. And Russia was compelled to recognize the independence of Estonia, the northernmost of the three Baltic states, which is closely linked to Finland culturally and linguistically. The following year saw the East Karelian Uprising of 1921, a rebellion by ethnic Finns against the Soviets, which was put down, but did result in the establishment two years later of the Karelian Autonomous Soviet Socialist Republic within the Russian Soviet Federative Socialist Republic, in at least a token concession to demands for autonomy. Although ethnic Finns had already long since been reduced to a minority in East Karelia due to Russian colonization of the territory. And then comes World War II, with Moscow now under Joseph Stalin and having built back up its military strength and definitely ready to start making territorial claims. The Nazi-Soviet Non-Aggression Pact of August 1939, as we all now know, included a secret protocol by which Germany and the USSR divided Eastern Europe into spheres of influence, with the Soviets getting the Baltic states and Finland, and Poland divided into German and Soviet spheres. And the following month, September 1939, Poland was invaded by Germany from the West, and then two weeks later by the Soviets from the East, precipitating World War II. And in addition to annexing the Baltic states, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, which had just won their independence from Imperial Russia a generation earlier, in November 1939, Stalin decides to invade Finland hoping, at a minimum, to seize all of Karelia, precipitating what is known as the Winter War. And there's a deep irony to Stalin making the mistake of attempting to invade Finland in the winter, mirroring the fatal error of Napoleon in Russia in 1812. And things went very poorly for the Russians, who met very stiff resistance from the Finns, who were, at this point, an inspiration to the world, perceived by the West to be with the good guys. This is what Winston Churchill had to say in his radio address of January 20th, 1940, quote, Only Finland, superb, nay, sublime, in the jaws of peril, Finland, shows what free men can do. The service rendered by Finland to mankind is magnificent. They have exposed for all the world to see the military incapacity of the Red Army and of the Red Air Force. Many illusions about Soviet Russia have been dispelled in these few fierce weeks of fighting in the Arctic Circle, end quote. But despite facing a quagmire over the winter. In February 1940, Stalin launched a new offensive, pouring in fresh troops, and the following month, March 1940, was able to exact the 
Moscow Peace Treaty from Finland, in which more of Karelia was ceded to the Soviet Union with a population transfer and some 400,000 Finns relocated to the West in order to remain within Finland and not come under Stalin's rule. So, that sucked. And here's where things get complicated. So, uh, in June 1941, Hitler turns on his good buddy Stalin and invades the Soviet Union. And the Finnish leadership is like, okay, this is our chance to win back our lost territory. And they launch what is known as the Continuation War, meaning a continuation, after a hiatus of more than a year, of what was attempted in the Winter War. Now, the official position, the public position of Finland, was that they weren't actually allied with Hitler. They were just trying to recover their lost territory, independent of Hitler's war of aggression. In reality, the Finnish leadership did at least coordinate with the German leadership. There were meetings between the Finnish and German high commands in Berlin and Salzburg in late May to work out terms for coordination. And in fact, Germany did send a contingent of several thousand troops to assist the Finnish war. At first, despite pressure from Germany, Finland tried to stay on the good side of Britain and the U.S. Finland says, hey, we aren't allied with Hitler. Come on, guys, we can still be friends, right? But by that time, the Western powers were forging their alliance with Stalin and basically said to Finland, sorry, if you're on Hitler's side, you can shift for yourselves. Fuck you, Finland. And in late November 41, pretty much simultaneously, The UK declares war on Finland, although the US never actually did, and Finland joins the Anti-Comintern Pact, which was the German-led bloc of nations opposed to the Soviet-led Communist International, prominently also including other Axis members, Italy and Japan, although Finland never joined the primary treaty establishing the Axis, the tripartite pact. It should also be noted that, in contrast to what happened in Ukraine, the Jews of Finland, of which there were not many, were not persecuted or deported during the period that Finland was on the side of Germany. And, in fact, in a strange irony of history, there were even patriotic Finnish Jews who fought on the same side as Germany against the Soviet aggressor. Once again, life is complicated. At a terrible cost for the Soviet Union, the Germans are driven back after the long battle of Stalingrad over the winter of 42-43, And in September 44, Finland agrees to an armistice on condition that it recognized the terms of the Moscow Peace Treaty of 1940, as well as surrendering further small pieces of territory to the Soviet Union, and that all German forces be evacuated from Finnish soil. 
and the Germans, in fact, complied and started evacuating, but not fast enough for the Finns, who were now under Soviet pressure, precipitating the Lapland War, in which the Finns turned their guns on their erstwhile German allies, driving them from the country, starting from the far north down, with most of the fighting up in the Lapland region. So for three months in late 44, Finland was actually at war with Nazi Germany. Finland was also made to pay reparations to the Soviet Union after the war, and under a formal peace treaty in 47, formally admitted to having been allied with Hitler. The Soviet annexed lands were joined to the rest of East Karelia as the Karelo-Finnish Soviet Socialist Republic from 1940 until it was made a part of the Russian Soviet Federal Socialist Republic in 1956 as the Karelian Autonomous Soviet Socialist Republic. This, in turn, would become the Republic of Karelia, a constituent entity of the Russian Federation after the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991, which is what it remains today. But uh, once again, it is now almost entirely ethnic Russian and effectively cleansed of Finns. Okay, before we close with some commentary on understanding what this history means today and how it's being exploited for propaganda purposes, there's one more point that it is necessary to make, which is that Finland, despite having been effectively colonized by Russia and Sweden for centuries, definitely has its own internally colonized people in the Sami, or Laps, of the far north, who were denied effective autonomy and faced with threats from resource exploitation on their lands, as is also the case in Sweden and Norway, and also very much the situation of the related Samoyed peoples of the Russian far north. But that's really a discussion for another podcast. But as stated, I did this rant tonight as a preemptive strike against Kremlin and or tanky tarring of the Finns with the Nazi calumny, which I fear is practically inevitable. In fact, I'm kind of surprised I haven't seen an instance of such propaganda yet, and a part of me thinks, maybe I shouldn't give them any ideas. Maybe I should just shut up, though I'm pretty sure they don't need me to come up with this one. Alas. And uh, I'm just going to point out some of the double standards here. There are two rather blatant examples of weaponization of the history of World War II and use of the Nazi calumny, much in evidence these days. And the first has actually been official propaganda policy of the state of Israel for a few years now. Back about 10 years ago, the Israeli foreign ministry issued an order to its embassies around the world to use a photo of Adolf Hitler's 1941 meeting with Haj Amin al-Husseini, the Mufti of Jerusalem, to counter international criticism over Israel's illegal settlement of the West Bank. 
Now, the reason they could thusly exploit the photo is because, unfortunately, it exists. Haj Amin al-Husseini did indeed throw in his lot with the Nazis because they opposed the British in Palestine and did indeed meet with Hitler in Berlin in November 1941. He was sought to be tried for war crimes by the victorious Allies after the war, but never appeared at the Nuremberg trials, dying in Beirut in 1974. The war crimes charges mostly concerned his recruiting of Muslims to join Nazi collaborationist forces who committed atrocities in the Balkans and other areas with Muslim populations under Axis control. But Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has engaged in utterly egregious distortions of this history, portraying al-Husseini as a mastermind of the Holocaust, which is revisionist bunk, needless to say. It should also be noted that there was an Arab-Palestinian militia that fought against the Axis under British command during the war, mostly against the Vichy forces that held power in Lebanon, as there was a Jewish militia in Palestine that played a similar role, despite the fact that the so-called revisionist Zionists around Ziv Jabotinsky famously sought aid from Mussolini, if not Hitler, to fight the British in Palestine. So, uh, kind of funny that the tankies who generally consider themselves militantly anti-Zionist, are engaging in exactly the same cynical propaganda ploy against the Ukrainians that the Israeli state employs against the Palestinians. Although there is definitely some overlap between the most reactionary Zionists and the pro-Russian crowd, there is at least a wing of the Israeli security establishment that supports Russian war aims in Syria, viewing Bashar Assad as the devil they know and a bulwark against the jihadis. And Israel has been supplying some aid to Ukraine, but Bibi Netanyahu and Vladimir Putin still get along famously, and Israel hasn't pushed things to the point of burning bridges with Moscow. And, as we have noted before, Ukraine has mostly voted against Israel at the United Nations on resolutions condemning Israel's illegal occupation and annexationist policies. And Israel, I will point out, was the only country, supposedly in the Western camp, to abstain last November 14th in a UN General Assembly vote calling for Russia to pay reparations for invading Ukraine. I'll also point to the case of Subhas Chandra Bose, the Axis collaborationist Indian independence fighter, who also met with Hitler in Berlin in May 1942. And while his alliance with Nazi Germany was never formalized, his alliance with Imperial Japan definitely was. He led an Indian militia force that collaborated with the Japanese in occupied Burma during the war, and participated in the attempted Japanese invasion of British India in 1944. 
And there is kind of a uh, nostalgic personality cult around him in India today, just as there is around Stepan Bandera in Ukraine, and for similar reasons. And in fact, there is a big propaganda push in India now to have Subhas Chandra Bose rehabilitated, which I oppose, but I also understand the politics behind it. Again, contrary to the French saying, to understand all is not to forgive all. And finally, let's not forget that Stalin himself was a Nazi collaborator, so to speak, from August 1939 to June 1941, during the period of the Hitler-Stalin Pact, when the two dictators divided Eastern Europe on mutually agreeable terms. So, when you inevitably see Russian propaganda smearing the Finns all of a sudden for having been Nazi collaborators in World War II, just remember the historical context, and don't let the crimes of the Axis powers and those who accommodated them in the 1940s be exploited to justify the crimes of Russia or Israel today. That's all I ask. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org. Support us on Patreon. Somebody sign up at patreon.com slash countervortex and pledge $1 per rant because that'll put us over the top and we'll actually be making, bringing in $100 per rant and we really need that $100 per rant. Do we ever. Join the Counter Vortex. Join the Resistance and rant on you next time when we will be taking a look at the Russian role in precipitating the current crisis in Sudan, something that has not been getting nearly enough media attention. So tune in again next weekend, over and out.